Hi, my name is Carly and welcome to Arise's Sermon of the Week. We hope that you experience God as you listen to this message and that you find practical ways to be the hands and feet of Jesus within your community. So let's open up our spiritual ears as we listen to this message. Hey, what's up, Risers? How you guys doing? Super excited to be with you guys this morning. If you're new to our church, my name is Brent. I get the privilege of being your lead pastor, and we're going to continue to experience God together today. Hey, uh, if, uh, when you partner with us with Legacy, missions like what you just saw on the screen uh, are, is what you support in different ways. And I love what Jerry and April Foster are doing through Breaking Chains Network, uh, literally rescuing women out of human trafficking, sometimes guys too, out of human trafficking and prevention as well. Uh, really doing some amazing things there. Uh, also, we want to celebrate, as is our normal custom as we get started, uh, a lot to celebrate. You know, we collected over 500 items for uh, uh, the event that we had last week to, to help with the ladies and help uh, with, the, what was it called? The uh, uh, Hope for Her, sorry. Uh, over 500 items last week. Isn't that awesome? It was... It was fun watching Pastor Josh get uh, pied in the face over 75 times. If you didn't see those pictures, go on social media, find those. Uh, really, really fun to watch. Uh, as well as, just wanted to make this little announcement slash update, whatever you want to call it. Uh, how many of you missed the cinematic messages or you enjoyed those messages we did during quarantine, all the, the movie messages we did? All right, like there's six of you. I'm glad y'all six liked them. A lot of people seem to really like those, and so we're bringing those back uh, in a unique time. Uh, so Thanksgiving Day, which happens to be this Thursday, uh, Christmas Day, and New Year's Day, we will have cinematic messages for you, devotions. Uh, we've already recorded the one for Thanksgiving. I think it's really cool, really fun. Uh, it's about a 10-minute long devotion. So do me a favor, sit down with your family on Thanksgiving Day, and let's make Thanksgiving about Thanksgiving, not just turkeys and not just family. Those are important things. Uh, but let's make Thanksgiving about Thanksgiving. And sit down and watch that with your family. I think you'll really enjoy it. And, uh, and I think it'll be pretty eye-opening as well. Uh, with that being said, um, have you ever noticed that we humans are very complex beings in the way that we communicate? Uh, in fact, there are over 40 muscles in your face alone that do nothing other than create facial expressions. You can do about 20 different facial expressions with about 40 different uh, muscles in your face. Uh, you can even smile, which is unique to humanity. Uh, it's something that, that there's no scientific answer for exactly why we even do smile. Uh, just look at your neighbor smile at them. Yeah, see, you can do that because you're humans. Um, but within that, as we communicate, because we have facial expressions, uh, humans can actually say things without actually saying things. Right? We can communicate without actually saying any verbal words out of our mouths. Uh, especially if you are a married couple, you know how your wife or your husband can give you one look and you know exactly what they're saying, even though they never said a thing. Uh, if you're a parent with a kid, that you look up at your parent, they give you that look, you know you're in trouble or whatever without a word ever being spoken. So we have this tremendous ability to be able to say things without saying things. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this. I know I certainly have. Uh, you probably have as well. That now that people are wearing masks, oftentimes I don't even know how to take people. Like I go to a restaurant and the waiter, waitress, like I don't even know if they're friendly or not. Like, are they smiling? Do they look happy to be here? I have no idea. Like, like I was greeting somebody um, after the, the last service in, in the Main Street, uh, and this guy, and I'm talking to him, and he goes, and he had this huge smile. And I'm like, yes, he was happy to be here. Before he took the mask off, I'm like, I'm just like, I'm not sure if he's just coming by because of what they told him to do. Like, you know what I mean? And, and so the, with the mask on, we're like, I don't even know how to read people. I don't even know what's going on. 
You mix that with the complicated other parts of how we communicate, you know, with your, your, body, your body expressions and the way you move your body and voice tones, uh, uh, facial expressions, all of that all kind of go coinciding to communicate something. And as we talk about this Throwing Shade series, we have to get to the place that we realize that not throwing shade is more than just what we're saying, it's what we're doing, our body language, the way we're acting, because sometimes your mouth can say one thing but your body language can say something completely different hello you ever been there and so if we're going to become peacemakers in the middle of our our very divided world then we have to be people that are learning that it's more than just what we say it's the way we say it we have to say things the right way so last week pastor ken did a great job come on hands together pastor ken yes Some of you are like, I'm not putting my hands together for anybody except Jesus ever. It's okay. Pastor Ken deserves it. Did a great job. And he started out the series here in Brandon uh, with James and talking about how it starts with you first. If you're going to be a peacemaker, if you're going to be somebody who stops throwing shade, you got to look at yourself first. It always starts there. But today we get to start looking at how we communicate with somebody else. Uh, With that being said, um, this is also a very practical message today. Now, My style, I love to preach, I love to shout, preach the pain off the walls, make everybody stand up, shout hallelujah, go all T.D. Jakes and Stephen Furtick and and all that, Ah! you know, everybody leaves going, I'm going to storm the gates of hell with a squirt gun, yeah, I I love to do that, I I love to go deep, I love to take like deep spiritual truths and go deep with them and everybody's really quiet and and you're processing all these deep things and you walk out of the room and you're like, my head just is is hurting right now because there's so much stuff, I love to do that, but sometimes you also have to be very practical and give you some very practical steps. In fact, I would say this, you can never go deeper than you're willing to actually practice something. If it's not practical, if you can't put it into practice, you don't actually need the depth. So you have to put it into practice. Today's going to be one of those messages, I'm not going to shout, I'm not going to scream, we're not going to walk out going, I'm going to storm the gates of hell. You're going to walk out with some very practical tools that'll keep you from killing Uncle Rico on Thursday at Thanksgiving. (laughs) Uncle Johnny. Uh, whatever you call that uncle, whatever you call that family member that you love to have with you one time a year and then you love when they leave. Come on, y'all. Um, I'm going to give you some practical tools, biblical tools on how to work with them. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 is where we want to go. Uh, in the book of Ephesians, Paul is an apostle. He's an early church planter who has planted churches all over the Mediterranean. And as he has planted these churches, he writes letters back to them, including this church. And he works in different areas of confusion or problems or issues that they're having and kind of coaches them on how to get through these different issues. And the church in Ephesus was very divided over some things. They were kind of arguing over some things. And so the church ends up getting divided. Now, I know 2,000 years later, we cannot even fathom what a church would look like if it was divided because we've never seen a divided church that's only in historical times we've never seen a church that fights over republican or democrat or mask or no mask or if you can have 11 people at your thanksgiving dinner or if they should call the police on the one who has 11 i've never i know you can't fathom what it looks like to have a divided church but believe it or not there was a church once upon a time that was divided and paul's writing this letter to the church and in the middle of his correction with them and guiding them and talking really on on how you can grow in your faith He says this statement. This is going to be our key verse. We'll use several this morning. This is our key one. Ephesians 4.15. He said, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. Speaking the truth in what? Speaking the truth in sarcasm. Is that what he said? (coughs) 
I don't know about you, I'm better at speaking the truth in sarcasm than love. I'm, pretty, I'm actually pretty good at speaking the truth in sarcasm. Like, I might be able to get, like, an honorary degree for that one right there. Like, I'm pretty good at speaking the truth in sarcasm. Uh, but he said, he, said, he said, speak the truth in anger. Is that what he said? Speak the truth in frustration. Speak the truth in hatred. <laughs> speak the truth so you can beat somebody else up with it, right? Speak the truth to make fun of somebody. Speak the truth to put somebody down. That's, that's not what he's saying at all, right? Yet that is what we do in our society. Not only is it what we do in our society, but it has grown into what we do in politics. And so now it's politics also putting each other down, calling people names from all over the place. So now it's permeating every area of our society. And I just want to say, somebody's got to stop it. Right. right. Anybody ever seen the old Saturday Night Live spoof, Stop It, where the guy goes in for counseling and, and everything, he's just, you know, the counselor's like, just stop it, just stop it. Look at your neighbor and say, just stop it. The buck has to stop somewhere. At some point, we have to do things differently. Somebody has to take ownership of, of acting differently. This is a moment for the body of Christ to rise up and speak the truth in love. And I will go a step further. Some of you won't like this, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you can't speak the truth in love, don't speak it at all. Because if you are speaking the truth in anger or frustration or hatred or vomiting on somebody, your opinion of something, if you are speaking the truth, even though it's the truth, you will do more harm than good by speaking it. The truth must be accompanied with love in order for it to do its intended effect. If it's accompanied by arrogance, cockiness, thinking you're better than somebody else, anger, frustration, all those things, it won't do its intended effect and it will actually hurt more than it helps. You with me? So don't speak the truth unless you can speak it in love. Now, we're going to see this this morning. This is, the, this is what Jesus did. This is the, 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 really the biblical story all paints this picture, but you see it over and over in the New Testament. For instance, Jesus came to teach people the right way in, in many ways, to bring the kingdom of God, which was God's, God's lordship, his way of doing things. That was a lot of what he did while he was here. So that was truth. It is truth, I should say. That is truth. However, the truth has to be connected with love or it can just beat somebody up. So you don't see Jesus walking around all the time going, you stupid idiot. I can't believe you would ever do blah, blah, blah. Right? If you found that in the Bible, you have to point it out to me because I haven't noticed that one yet. I haven't seen that very often. In fact, you see where instead of saying, you guys better use your talents for God, you see Jesus saying things like, let me tell you about some men who had talents. Let me tell you their story. It's a loving way of bringing a truth because you need truth for correction. You cannot dismiss truth, but you have to bring it in the right order, in the right way, in the appropriate manner, truth in love. So he didn't say, stop hanging around with bad people. He said, let me tell you about some yeast in the Pharisees and who you should hang around with and how the people you hang around with ends up affecting you. He didn't say, for crying out loud, would you stop worrying? He said, look at the lilies of the field. He said, look around at the grass and see how God takes care of them. He didn't say, you better make God your foundation he said, let me tell you this story about different builders and how they built on different foundations and one survived and one didn't when the rains come. Are you with me? So this is so important because most of the time we just want to jump in and smack somebody with truth. But you see in the life of Jesus where he always accompanies truth with love, right? So if you're taking notes, let me give you your first big one right here. Bring hope through the gospel. Bring hope through the gospel. The gospel is meant to bring you hope, not condemnation. The world brings you enough condemnation. They don't need any more of it. Our job is to lift people out of the condemnation and bring them hope. 
You see this all over the New Testament. But Jesus, with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, uh, you know, she's a sinner in a sinner's lifestyle, has had all of these husbands at this point and living with one that's not even her husband now. Jesus easily could have stepped in and said, let me tell you what you did wrong. Let me tell you how to fix it. You need to go back there. You need to repent. You need to change your lifestyle. But he doesn't. In fact, he starts a conversation with her about water and living water. And then he goes into theology and where we should worship long before he ever gets to the fact that she's a sinner living in a sinner's lifestyle. And she has to ask questions and start a dialogue that leads to that. And then you see her go and repent and you see the change that starts to happen in her life. But it starts through a conversation. There are all kinds of biblical examples of this. Uh, When Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians... Um, you should know something about the church in Corinth. They were jacked up. They were jacked up on like a Jerry Springer level. So in the church in Corinth, you had at least one dude who was sleeping with his father's wife. That's his mother-in-law. That's Jerry Springer, y'all. Uh, you, had, you had people that were getting drunk on communion. I <laughs> mean, like, Pastor, could I have another? You know? How many of those little shots do you have to drink to get drunk? Come on, y'all. <coughs> Just kidding. They had bigger cups. Um, but you know what I'm saying? So he's addressing some serious sin. There's division, immorality, lawsuits, food sacrifice to idols, spiritual gifts. He's addressing all these things, and he is calling things into alignment. He's calling things into truth. But watch how he starts the book as he starts to write to them. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 2-9 through 9 says, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called to be his holy people. See, if I were writing this, my temptation would be to you misfits who are doing the stupidest stuff, get right with God. But he doesn't start like that. To you sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. That's a nice way of saying, you need so much grace, it reminds me of how much grace God has. Just saying. I always thank God, my God, for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and, and, and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He is also, or he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into the fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Isn't this like this beautiful, loving, gentle, parental, fatherly way of going, listen, I love you. I care about you. He did not once mention in the beginning about how messed up they are and all the sin and division and complicated things going on. He didn't mention that at all because he loves them and he's stepping into a place where he's going to speak the truth, but he's speaking it out of a heart of love. And notice what came first. Love came before truth. It's key. In the book of Colossians, you see the same kind of thing. Colossian church has a lot of issues, uh, a lot of divisions inside the church. And right in the middle of it, as he's addressing those, he stops in Colossians 3 and says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. They were not acting holy. They were not acting dearly loved. But he's calling in them the things out of them that God sees in them. And so he's looking at them saying, listen, as God's chosen people, you are still God's chosen people, even when you're so messed up and I got to correct these things, recognize who you are. And it's so beautiful that in the middle of this, that, 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 that love confronts, but love confronts compassionately. Love confronts in a way that's going to build somebody up, not beat them down. 
And our job is not to hammer people down, but to call them upward, to give them hope, to bring them out of where they are, not shove them further downward. Are you all with me? I think maybe the, the great example of this would be a Tony Dungy. Like, Tony Dungy, all the years he coached, and I'm sure this way still off the coaching field, you never saw Tony Dungy lay into one of the players. You never see the player come to the sideline and Tony Dungy scream at him. Why? Because they already knew what they'd done wrong. They were probably already beating themselves up more than he could have ever yelled at them. And lots of coaches would scream at the player, but you see a Tony Dungy who loves the player enough to definitely he's going to bring correction. If you keep fumbling the ball, if you keep dropping the ball, you will not be on the field, much less the team, much longer. However, I don't have to yell at you to get that point across. You really already know that point. I want to love you, and even if you go to another team, I want to care about you. You look at when Tony Dungy's son died, the tragic death that he died, and how players and and teammates and people all over the league all came to this funeral. Why? Because he had impacted people that weren't even on his team because of his love. Truth is going to correct. Truth is going to conform people into the image of God. We have to have truth. Without it, we're going to be a mess. We have to have, in fact, without truth, we become so fragile that we can't hardly survive. So, so we live in a world right now that's scared to tell children truth because it hurts them. Because truth is confrontational. Truth means by its nature that there's other things that are not true. So when we teach our kids and we say we can't mark up their paper in red or we can't you know, give them an F because it's going to hurt their feelings, what we're saying is the truth is not as valuable as your feelings. Life is going to hit you with truth at some point. That's the way it works. The more you don't have the truth as it comes up, the more fragile we get, and the more anytime somebody says something we don't like now that may be true, we blow up, right? And so, you know, we give every kid a trophy and all these things that we do in our American society. We got to be very, very cautious of that because if we're not careful, the kids don't grow up with this understanding of the truth is going to be confrontational and I'm not always going to like it. And it makes us inwardly very, very fragile. So a controlled response is almost always better than an emotional response. A controlled response is almost always better than an emotional response. You don't need to be all emotional. You don't need to get all upset and frustrated. Think about what you want to say in the way that you want to say it. Look at them in love and, and use your spiritual discernment to know uh, if, if, if they're truly repentant, if they're going to change, how to speak into their life. Um, Elijah turned 10 this week, double digits, which makes me and Ada old. And so uh, Elijah turns 10, uh, we had got him a skateboard for his birthday, and I'm like this proud dad that's watching him skateboard everywhere because I have no balance, especially at this age. And so I'm like, look at him, go, man, he's really doing this stuff. And he's skateboarding all around the driveway. So we had this conversation because, you know, we have drive garage doors, like most of you, and uh, had this conversation, said, you know, if you're skateboarding, make sure that you don't skateboard in front of the garage doors because that's how you get the nice little holes in the bottom of the garage door, right? Skateboard, whoop. Um, so we have the whole conversation. He comes in, uh, a couple days later, and he said, Dad, um, I'm really sorry. Like, he's like trembling. Poor guy, he's so repentant. He's like trembling. He's like, Dad, I'm so sorry. He's like, I, I hit the garage door with the skateboard twice, and it may be blue in that spot now because the garage door is white and the skateboard is blue, and yeah, you do the science. And I'm, and I'm watching his body language. He's already repentant. There's no good for me to come down as a dad with a hammer now. Stop that. You better never do that ever again. <laughs> I just knocked my watch off. <laughs> Stop that, but it's no good to come down with a hammer on that moment. It doesn't doesn't do any good. However, in that moment, I get to be the gracious gracious father speaking the truth in love. All right, here's the deal, son. Don't ride the skateboard near that garage door. You've got to be out there. You've got to be riding in a direction that if it flies off from under you, it's not going towards the house. It's going towards the yard, right? Those kind of little conversations. But he was already repentant. 
And so you speak the truth, you correct, but you do it in a heart and a nature of love, right? <clears throat> um, the, the, the early prophets, um, uh, the, the Jews would look at the Messiah in a number of categories uh, for if he was the Messiah. And there's something called the disposition of the Messiah. And so the early Jews would look at the Messiah for, did he fulfill prophecy and did he do miracles and, and different things like that, what was his teachings. But there was something called the disposition of the Messiah as well that said not only was, not only was it, did you do these miracles and such, but how was the attitude of the Messiah? Was it in love? Was it in grace? Essentially, was he demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit? Listen, we need to have the disposition of the Messiah ourselves as we are Christ-like, little Christians, Christian, little Christ. We need to have the disposition of the Messiah that it's not about working of miracles only. It's not about fulfilled prophecies and prophesying each other over different people. It's about your attitude as you do it. That counts just as much as the other things count. So uh, we've got to believe in people. Uh, we've got to be people that attack issues and love people. That's what truth needs to do. We attack issues. There are some issues that need to be attacked. But we love people and separate the two because good people can be wrong on issues. Good people can be wrong on issues, and if you're not careful, you will destroy people because you don't like an issue. God died for people. We love people. Even our enemies, we love them. And in this case, it's not the people that are our enemies, it's the issues that are our enemies. So attack issues, love people. All right, let's go to point number two. <clears throat> be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. James tells us, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. This is where you pull out your pens and paper, take note. That's what he said. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I would say this, that if you are quick to listen and slow to speak, you will be slow to become angry. Because now you are walking out a process of thinking it through rather than an emotional process of blowing up and getting angry. <clears throat> now something powerful here happens because even if you can't agree with some, <clears throat> even if you can't agree with everything that somebody else says, the very fact that you will listen to them demonstrates respect enough for you to start having the conversation. It cultivates this attitude of mutual respect where we can actually talk back and forth instead of throwing verbal darts back and forth, instead of throwing shade. So we got to be quick to listen. Now, I know around this room, all of you are already quick to listen, and nobody struggles with not being quick to listen, because when somebody says something you don't like, you immediately stop everything and just listen to everything they said. I know you're all that way, but for the sake of me and Pastor Ken and Johnny and my friend Jacob, who's here this morning, we just want to talk for a second to us, because I know you all got it down, but for the rest of us, what does that mean? Let me give you some real super practical ideas. Number one, wait patiently. Wait patiently. This is good listening skills. We need to learn to wait patiently while other people are speaking. This means you're not thinking about everything else you're going to say. Um, Proverbs 18, 13 would say, um, to answer before listening, this is folly and shame. Discipline yourself to become comfortable with silence. Most of us are very uncomfortable with silence. It gets awkward real fast in silence. So you know, teach yourself to be comfortable within silence and teach yourself not to interrupt as other people are talking. Like, I am really guilty of that. That's one of my weaknesses. Like, if somebody's talking and I think of a good point, I just want to throw it out there. And I'm always, like, stepping on my own toe, like, beating myself up. Got to stop doing that. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Pay attention. Honor them by listening to what they want to say, which is number two, pay attention. <coughs> pay attention. Uh, they say the human mind can think at least four times, at least 
four times faster than the mouth can talk. Which means as somebody else is talking to you, your mind is already way beyond what they're saying. Right, because you can you can think so much faster than they can communicate. In fact, you can probably already come to the conclusion that they're trying to tell you they came to you out of their mouth way before they get there. Right? They got a five minute story. You're thirty seconds into it. You've already come up with the solution yourself. You know where it's going. Why do I even need to listen to them? Right? So so, but honoring them is a way, or honoring them, it's a way of paying attention. Is a way of honoring them in these moments where you refuse to let your mind wander. Do your best to say, I'm going to focus on the person in this moment. I'm going to honor them in that way. Here's a couple of real quick ways of doing that. Uh, number one, maintain eye contact as much as possible. Now, not awkward eye contact, right? Everybody's been with that person. Like, they're, they're looking at you like, like stop it. Stop. Like, you're staring through my soul or something. Right? You ever have a prophet that does that in the church? They just stare at you and like, okay, I'm trying to think through every sin I've ever committed. Jesus, please don't let them call that out. You know, whatever. Right? So, so maintain eye contact. Don't use negative, avoid negative body language, you know, crossing your arms and tapping your foot, looking around, all those kind of things. Eliminate distractions, right? Sometimes there's distractions around. It could be kids, it could be the television, um, and, and they become things that just constantly make you have to look away, look away, and distract you. Um, I was with this guy one time, uh, so, well, say it this way, Some, sometimes when you get older, people in general, but sometimes when you get older, you lose the filter that tells you when to stop talking, and so you just keep talking. Everybody knows somebody like that? Um, and so uh, I had gone to dinner years ago with a pastor, a former pastor. He was an old man at this point. And um, he had lost that filter. And so he was literally one of those people that could talk for two hours without ever taking a breath. A breath. Now, he invited me to dinner, so I'm at dinner with him. I'm out of Chili's. And I genuinely respect this guy. He's a retired pastor, got lots of wisdom, a lot of great things to say. Never paused to ever respond, but he just kept talking. And he's talking and talking and talking. And we're sitting at a Chili's, and he's talking, and his face is right here. And right behind him, to the right was a television playing a football game I really wanted to see. And the whole night I'm going, like I'm trying not to look at the TV, but you can't not look at the TV. It's right there. And I'm like, because I really genuinely wanted to hear what he had to say. I really did. He just, but he never stopped talking. And, and uh, anyway, <clears throat> you've all been with people like that. So eliminate distraction. Lean forward a little bit, nodding, saying uh-huh, and things like that can be very powerful uh, towards showing people that you're paying attention and honoring them. And when you honor them, it starts creating a bridge that you can actually talk about things. All right, letter C, ask clarifying questions. Ask clarifying questions. <clears throat> now let me tell you a secret. Uh, you know, I spent years studying as an apologist and, and still do some of that on the side occasionally. And an uh, apologetic secret is if you want somebody to come to your side, you want somebody to agree with you, and you want to change their point of view, their worldview, whatever, don't give them answers, give them questions. Questions that are powerful, that surface the cracks in their worldview, in their thoughts. So don't give them an answer, give them a question that they have to wrestle with. Because if you give them an answer, they'll fight that. They've heard all your answers. But if you give them a really penetrating question, it'll keep them up at night. They'll get frustrated. They'll have dreams about it. It'll irritate the stew out of them until they surface an answer, right? So in the moments that you're dealing with that, that loved one or that person, whoever, that, that they have a different worldview and you want to actually get them to come to your side. You want, the, you, know, you want to work these things out. You want to show them the truth, right? In those moments, don't give them answers. Give them questions that are good questions and then zip your lip. Let them try to answer the question. In those moments, oftentimes people have a very difficult time answering the question because what happens, especially with politics and a lot of the things that people argue over, is that people have never generally thought deeply about those things what they're doing is sounding off on sound bites that they heard somebody say on the news 
or on the newspaper or whatever. They heard it somewhere, and they're giving sound bites that they've never really deeply thought about, right? And so, um, so if you can learn, but of course you have to think deeply about it first, but ask really deep, penetrating questions, it becomes really powerful. A guy by the name of Greg Kokel, who's a premier apologist around the world, uh, wrote a book called Tactics, all about asking those questions. And the number one question he would teach you to ask is, what do you mean by blah, blah, blah? What do you mean by blah, blah, blah? Uh, that question alone can surface so much great conversation, so many un, uh, unanswered questions within a person. Um, so, you know, if they say, I could never be a Christian, what do you mean by Christian? Because I bet you their definition of Christian, you would say, I could never be that either. <laughs> right? So, so asking those kind of questions are really, really powerful. The fourth one is very similar but different. Ask reflecting and paraphrasing questions. This shows that you're paying attention to the person. So you are paraphrasing or reflecting back on what they just said and repeating it back in a short time period. So if they went on for five minutes, you're repeating it back in 30 minutes what you just heard them say. This is incredibly powerful because it honors the person and shows you're paying attention to them, not the TV behind them. So now you can say, hey, so what I'm hearing you say is blah, 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 blah. And you say the, the abbreviated version. All of a sudden, you know what you did? You just met in the middle a little bit. <clears throat> it doesn't mean they're right. You might very well be thinking the whole time they're talking, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I can't believe that anybody would believe this and why they would have. But you're still honoring them by paying attention to what they're saying and then repeating it back to them, and all of a sudden, they're going to be more likely to listen to what you have to say because you listen to what they have to say, and you start meeting in the middle. <clears throat> and, and in this moment, reflecting doesn't necessarily mean that you agree with the other person. It just means you comprehend what they're saying. This is key because sometimes when we reflect and we say back to them, you can feel like in your own self, well, that means I agree with them. It doesn't mean you agree with them. It just means you understand them, you comprehend them. You don't want to be like, like Dumb and Dumber. Any Dumb and Dumber fans? The first one? With the, the, yeah. the, the Dumb and Dumber. Uh, when, they're, when they're talking about his ex, and he says, she wrote me a John Deere letter. Something about me not listening enough. I don't know. I wasn't really paying attention. You don't want to be that person. Don't want to be that person. All right, the fifth one, the last one. Find a place of agreement. Find a place of agreement. If you really want to be a peacemaker and start meeting in the middle, find a place of agreement. Unless everything they just said is so asinine and so backwards, you will be able to find a truth in there somewhere, in something they're saying. There's some kind of truth. And when you find that place of agreement, it gives you a place to start from to have a dialogue. So don't start from the disagreements. That's natural. Start from the agreements. What do we agree on? Let's start there and move forward. And if you really want to get into the depths of it, oftentimes, even the people that are so opposite of you in beliefs, you, always, you actually agree on the fundamental thing at the bottom. You just go on different rays of what you believe about it. But that's very, very common. So find something you can both agree on that starts meeting in the middle. You with me so far? I told you this is practical. I told you. All right, number three, last one. Bring healing by using the tongue of the wise. Bring healing by using the tongue of the wise. What in the world is that? Proverbs 12, 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. <laughs> Anybody ever been pierced by the words of the reckless? That's our world right now. We do not control our tongue. It is completely out of, out of control. James said no man can tame the tongue, but some of us just completely let it run, <laughs> run rampant. And we say the silliest stuff, not realizing that our words have consequences and our tongues can literally pierce people and hurt people in deep ways. So we have to be people that are not using our tongues that way. As believers, we want to use the tongue of the wise and actually bring healing to people, right? 
We want to lift people up, not put people down, not destroy people with our tongues, but restore them. And that's what the tongue of the wise does. It brings healing and it brings restoration. Now, our church uh, has been this way for years, but especially in the last few years, we have noticed this uptick of people that come to our church with a significant amount of church hurt from the past. Uh, there's a lot of you in this room, honestly, I'd embarrass you probably if I said raise your hand, but there's a lot of people that come to our church as a last resort, or they come to our church as, as kind of like, like, I said I would never go to church ever again, but then somebody invited me, I'm like, all right, whatever, I'll go this one time, and they find something different here, because they've been so beat up by the church world in the past, and they come here, and they find healing, and they find restoration. This is the story of a significant amount of our church. A lot of people nod your heads right now, because you are those people, right? Uh, I, I get it, I get it, I get it. So I want to give you some basic ideas of how we do that in our church, how we bring words of healing in our church, as well as how you can do it, okay? Number one, letter A, breathe grace. Breathe grace. What comes in you and out of you as you inhale and exhale should be the great grace of the Lord Jesus Christ if you want to be a place of healing. Grace needs to cover everything you're doing. Um, we need to be people that use I statements not you statements. One word can change everything. For instance, you don't want to say, you make me feel. You want to say, I feel this way when you do that. You with me? You don't want to say, you make me frustrated. You say, I feel frustrated. Do you see the difference? It is one word that will determine whether a wall gets put up in front of you or not. You don't say, you make me confused. You say, I feel confused when you do da-da-da. Do you see the subtle difference in one words? And it's breathing grace to say, I'm going to change my language a little bit so that we don't put up walls in between us. I'm going to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in everything I do. And as you <clears throat> breathe grace on people, recognize that they are broken. Every person that you end up in conflict with is a broken person in need of restoration. You know how I know that? Because every person is a broken person in need of restoration. So what do I mean by breathe grace? Put yourself in this particular, let's just say, I don't want to, I don't point anybody out because I didn't want to put this on anybody, but let's just say that you know somebody and their wife just passes away and it's a guy, it's a dude and, and he's a friend of yours and his wife just passes away. And so then you go and you, you're talking to him or something and he just goes off on you out of nothing. Like, you know, maybe some little thing. You're supposed to be at his house at 10. It's 10.05. And he's like, why are you always late? Why are you doing it? And, and you're just like, won't you treat him different because you know what he just went through? Because you know he's broken? Because you know that's not really him right there. That's a broken person who's walking through a mess. And you're going to be more grace-filled with that person. Graceful, full of grace. You're going to be more graceful with that person because you recognize that he's broken. If you want to be a person that breathes grace, recognize that person is broken. It may not be as obvious. It may not stand out on the front, but recognize the reason why they're firing off the way they're firing off and frustrating you the way they're frustrating you is because they're broken. Therefore, I am going to be extra graceful. Let's be real. And there are some people that are EGR people. Have you heard of that before? Extra grace required. Some of you are going to be sitting next to somebody at Thanksgiving in four days that's an EGR person. They don't even know about this message. You can just look at your wife and be like, EGR. <clears throat> EGR. Right. There are some people like, you, you know, your uncle, your, your sister-in-law, whatever it is. I don't know. But they drive you insane. If you can look at them going, they're broken. 
there's something broken in them, that's why it's coming out this way, it will allow you to have extra grace for them in that moment. Are you all with me? It's practical, practical. Let it be the second thing. Give the benefit of the doubt. Give the benefit of the doubt. We need to give people the benefit of the doubt. Don't assume the worst in them, assume the best in them. You will hear this all the time around our staff if you're in our meetings and things like that. We are always going to err on the side of grace and we're always going to assume the best in people. Even when somebody does something stupid, we're going to go, I'm going to assume he's not going to keep doing that, she's not going to keep doing that. I'm going to believe the best in them on an err on the side of grace. Now, if they keep doing it over and over, well, then we're going to have to address it. But in general, I'm going to assume that's not really uh, the issue here. There's something else that's the issue here. So um, in these moments, as you give people the benefit of the doubt, your attitude will actually carry more weight than your words will. Your love, if your love goes first, as we just saw in 1 Corinthians, if your love goes first, it'll carry more weight than the words that you're using. So, so allow your words to, or I'm sorry, your actions to go first. You're believing in them to go first. Show them that you care before you tell them the truth. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. So show them that you care first, and then you can bring the truth in later. A friend of ours, a friend of Kieran and I's and a few other people in this room, is planting a church in St. Pete right now, and the church is called More Than Words. More Than Words. I love the title because... Some churches have a lot of words, but they have no presence. Some Christians have a lot of words. They can quote the Bible. They can tell you everything that's wrong, but they're not present in the situation. There's nothing more than the words coming out of their mouth. There's got to be something more than words. And when we're dealing with people in this way and we're trying to give people the benefit of the doubt, have more than words. Letter C, talk from beside, not above. Talk from beside, not above. Listen, you are not Jesus. You are not the Pope. You probably don't have a PhD. You're probably not the expert. You're not the smartest person in the world. You don't need to put yourself on a mountain and look down at everybody else and how smart you are because you watched a YouTube video. (laughs) We all know those people. I watch History Channel, so I know all about it, right? You know, just because you read the Wikipedia page doesn't make you the expert. Lower yourself, get beside them, or humble yourself and get below them, not above them. It's not going to do any good if you come at it from, an, from a place of I know the answers and you're the little silly person down here that doesn't. That's not helpful for anybody. Talk beside them, not above them. Talk beside them, not above them. <clears throat> there, there, there are no, we don't, we don't need preachers, by the way. We don't, we don't need, uh, your Thanksgiving dinner, we don't need preachers. We need people that love people. I, I would, I'm going to make a very bold Kind of, it may be heretical. I don't know. I haven't thought about it deeply enough yet. I'm not even sure we need preachers in America today. We need lovers who know how to communicate the gospel, but preachers who are hype, 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 hype. I'm not even sure that works at all. But that's a whole other message. But we need people who are, can communicate love. I, I was uh, recently, um, <clears throat> I, I started reading some um, scholarly journals on atheists who, I'm not even sure they're right. It's like uh, recommitted their life to Christ, but these are like Christians who became atheists that then became Christians again. Like they reconverted, deconverted, and reconverted. I don't know. And this whole thing, this phenomenon. And and I'm reading about this, and it's all this like scientific journals, and they're studying these people. And so they're studying trends with them and commonalities. And virtually every atheist who becomes a Christian, there's a commonality. In the stories, the atheist segregates himself from Christian world. He used to be in it, now he's away from it. Now he's over here amongst his atheist friends. And then once he's over here with his atheist friends, he creates a scarecrow, a, a, a scarecrow argument of who the Christians are. So the Christians are this, 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 and this. 
he somehow ends up with Christians again. Someone invites him to something, whatever, you know. He sometimes, somehow ends up with Christians again and finds out that they don't do any of the things he thought. So he goes to the Christian, expecting them to preach at him, expecting them to shove Jesus down his throat. He ends up back with the Christians and finds out they don't talk about Jesus 100% of the time. In fact, they're talking about golf and they're talking about whatever, you know, like they're just hanging out, right? And he finds out that they're just kind of good people and he actually likes being with them. Go figure that one. And then after being with them for a long period, you want to know the really funny one? Statistically, he's the one who's going to bring it up to them because he's got all these inner emotions and frustrations and he doesn't understand why they're not acting the way they're supposed to act. So he brings it up and if he finds Christians who can actually defend their place, it starts a dialogue that started in love first. It started because I care about you as an individual, not that I'm trying to beat you up with the gospel. It started with love first. And as that happens, then all of a sudden, you know, given time and, and months, the person ends up converting back to Christianity. But it didn't start with the preacher yelling at them. It started with somebody who cared enough just to have a conversation and hang out with them. So talk from beside them. Don't talk from above them. <clears throat> uh, D, talk in person whenever possible. I don't want to harp on this for a long time, but here, here's a simple truth. Text messaging is destroying relationships. Social media is destroying relationships. Why? Because what I started with is true, that a whole lot of the way we communicate something is through body language, facial expressions, verbal tones. That's a lot of communication. So when you text somebody and you take all of that away, that text can be read a lot of different ways a lot of times. And if there's a conflict and they send the text, it's going, hear me, it's going to be read through the lens of the person who's reading it. Pastor Ken said last week, battles start inside of you, as he's quoting James, that the fights and conflicts start inside of you. So if the conflict is inside of you and I read the text, it may have been written with the most grace ever. But because I'm reading it through the battle that's inside of me, I will read it as ugly and we end up splitting up. We end up pushing further and further away. So talk in person. It might be old-fashioned, but it still works. Come on, y'all. Talk in person, at least on Zoom or something, if nothing else, right? Talk in person whenever possible. It'll, it'll save a lot. Uh, it'll really benefit in a lot of ways. And then uh, the last one, use the Bible carefully. <clears throat> use the Bible carefully. This is very key because some of us want to, especially if you're dealing with two Christians, by the way, if you're not dealing with a Christian on the other side of a conflict, don't even use the Bible. Because they don't accept the Bible, so why would you reuse it? They could care less what the Bible says. Now, if they respect the Bible and they're a Christian, then it becomes okay to use the Bible. But if you are dealing with a Christian, you want to use the Bible, let me just give you some real simple sense. Don't beat them up with it and let them read it, not you. You're like, well, I want to preach and say that Romans 7 says that da-da-da-da. Okay, how about you let them read Romans 7 from their Bible, ask them what they think about it, and then you listen. Let the Holy Spirit work. You know, his job is to bring conviction. Our job is to bring love. So, so just be careful using the Bible because it can become a temptation for a lot of people to use the Bible as a sword to beat somebody up instead of a sword that, that, that cleans you up, right? So be careful. Be careful with that. All right, with that being said, my, one of my last things here, we need, to be more converse, have, we need to have more conversations and less arguments, and it starts with us. We need to have more conversations and less arguments and it starts with us. This is key. It's not going to start with somebody else. They are not going to make the first move. The more mature person is going to make the first move. And us as Christians are going to, be, have, to be, are going to have to be the ones that speak the truth in love. The world's going to speak the truth in arrogance. They're going to speak the truth in, 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 in frustration and hatred. They're going to speak the truth in sarcasm. 
You and I have to be the ones who are speaking the truth in love because nobody else is going to do it. And if we look at America and we see how divided it is, who's going to step in the gap and help fill that divide? It's going to have to be Christians who are mature enough to zip their lip, to ask some questions, to listen to the other side and start bridging gaps, find shared common uh, agreements of truth and bridge those gaps. It has to be us, y'all. It has to be us. And where does it really start? It might start at Thanksgiving table. Before you can solve the world's problems, you might have to solve your family's problems. Before you can fix America, you might have to fix your relationship with, with, with you know, your sister-in-law or whoever, your brother-in-law. Megan, come on up. <clears throat> you might have to fix your relationship with some of them. So, so let's just make this, this, this real simple. All right, so I got a two-by-four. This two-by-four is truth. It's truth. Now, as a two-by-four, uh, it is amoral. That means that it can be used for good or bad. It's not morally wrong or morally, morally bad or morally good. It's amoral. It's like a, like a knife. A knife can be used to cut your apple or it can be used to stab somebody. The knife isn't the problem. It's the person that's the problem, right? And so this two-by-four is amoral. But this two-by-four represents truth. Truth is also amoral, right? So we can use truth to beat somebody up. That's the way a lot of Christians have done for a lot of years. So we're not helping somebody. We are beating them down. Or, I'm going to be here on the other side, Megan. Or, you can step on that. Or you can use truth instead of beating them down. You can use truth to actually lift them up. <laughs> right? Or, or you can use truth to look down on somebody. Oh, see how much taller I am here now? I'm using my truth to push her down. Or I can use truth, get back over there again. I can use truth to actually humble myself and pick her up. You try it one more time, you're gonna, do, you're gonna do it great. You're gonna do great. Truth to humble myself and lift her up. <laughs> see if you can say that. You, you, know, you know something? I want you to see this. It's a silly illustration, but it's important. When I push down on this, I lifted her up. I actually stayed on the same place. Sometimes you think lifting somebody else up means somehow you don't matter. It's not that you don't matter. It's that they do. It's that you're lifting somebody who is broken up. You're not pushing them down. And, 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 and truth can also be used, because a lot of people use it this way. Truth can also be used to push people around. I keep people away from you, push people around, make them whoever you, you know, keep them away from you at arm's length or whatever. But truth can also be used on that side but truth can also be used to make a bridge so you can come together how are you using truth how are you using the truth because for far too long in Christianity we've used it poorly we've beaten people up with it we've pushed people down with it it's time in America that we use it to lift people up to give them hope and to build bridges between people and if you and I don't do it who's going to do it who's going to do it Put your hands together for Megan. Thank you, Megan. <laughs> so, let me ask, wrap up with this big question. Can you imagine a world in which we began to speak the truth in love? What would that world look like? Like, I can't expect everybody to do it, but at least Christians. What would it look like if you and I began to speak the truth in love? A truth that builds up instead of pushing down. A truth that builds bridges instead of destroying them. Um, 
I've shared this before, but it's so pertinent to, pertinent to what we're talking about right now. Uh, Ada and I were in Ireland a few years ago. And uh, uh, while we're there, Donald Trump had just been elected as the president while we were there. And, um, and it's funny, as soon as I say Donald Trump, it already perks up because everybody has an opinion on that one. And so Donald Trump had just been elected president. It was like February of that year. He just is going in office. And so when you're in Ireland, there's hardly any hotels anywhere. Um, and you stay in bed and breakfast everywhere you go because they're everywhere for bed and breakfast, which is pretty cool. Now, the people in Ireland are these like, like super friendly, like uber friendly. Um, they, they remind me of like, um, like the traditional Southern style hospitality that may or may not even exist. But, you know, you're like, y'all come back now, you're here. You're like, the, like it's that kind of like, they just walk up to strangers and start talking to you. So Adu and I would be down at breakfast at the bed and breakfast and random strangers would just come sit with you and start talking. And that was normal. It was kind of fun after you get used to it. At first, it's like, who are you? Why are you at my table? But after a while, like, it's kind of fun. You catch on to this. And everywhere we went, people kept asking the same question. They would sit down and they would look at us and go, so you're American, right? We're like, yes. Yeah. So what do you think about Donald Trump? And I'm just going to be honest. The first couple of times they asked, I'm like, I don't even know how I should respond to that. Because if somebody came and asked me that in the United States, the next thing, I could get hit with a two by four the next thing I say or something. I don't know right? Because people are so opinionated. You can't actually have a conversation. But it was weird. These, these Irish people, they legitimately just wanted to know, what do you think about Donald Trump? And so they'd come over, sit down, and we started having these conversations. And it was like, first we were taken aback. And after a while of this happening over and over, we started to realize this is kind of normal. It's kind of weird. People actually want to hear what you have to say. They don't just want to fight over it. What a, what a bizarre thing. What a weird thing. What if, what if as we start speaking the truth in love, it actually builds bridges where you can have conversations that don't need your dogmatism, they don't need your, your fight. You can just have honest conversations and get to know people and understand why they vote for this person or don't vote for this person or why they think this way or don't think that way. And you actually bring more healing than you do by throwing the darts across the aisles. So what would it look like if we all started to speak the truth in love? How can you choose to speak the truth in love this week? How can you choose to speak the love, truth in love this week? Uh, who is one person that you need to speak the truth in love to this week? Now, this is an easy week for that question because um, he's probably going to be sitting at your table for Thanksgiving, spending the night at your house for a night or two or three or <laughs> longer. You might be wanting to kick them out and send them to the hotel. I don't know. Somebody's like, I will pay for the hotel if you will go to it. But then right after Thanksgiving, you're going to hit Christmas, and then New Year's. <coughs> Who do you need to speak the truth in love? I know how the Holy Spirit works, and I believe that in many of us, if we will actually ask that question of ourselves, He will reveal people in our lives that, that I might not like being with that person, but I'm going to honor them by going to them and listening to them and zipping my lip. And just because my lips zip doesn't mean I agree with them. It just means I love them more than I want to fight their stupid argument. Come on. I don't have to agree with them to love them. And you start building bridges instead of destroying them. Wow, by speaking the truth in love. Stand up with me if you would. Let's wrap up. <clears throat> Jesus becomes the ultimate example of speaking the truth in love because he did not only speak it, he lived it. He was more than words by definition. Because the truth is that every one of us in this room deserve eternal damnation for our sin. 
that is almost not fair because you were born into it. You didn't choose it. You were born into it. But yet during this lifetime, you've already made mistakes and sinned that it qualifies you for it. And you cannot pay the price to get out of it. That is the ultimate truth. However, Jesus is the ultimate God of love who stepped into that truth and put himself in harm's way. And literally in a fashion that's more than words, he put himself in harm's way to speak or be the truth in love. The truth died on the cross 2,000 years ago and was resurrected three days later. He is the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to get to the heavenly father, you go through the truth that put himself in your place on a cross 2,000 years ago. So I just, I don't want to belittle, belabor this moment, but we just bow your heads with me for just a moment. Our prayer team, you guys can go ahead and come on up front. If you're in this room and you say, Pastor, I need to give my life to Christ. I want to surrender over to him, whether that's recommitting my life to Christ or whether that's giving your life to Christ in the first time. But you're saying, I want to give my life to Christ. I don't want to have conflict between me and God. I want to have peace between me and God. Therefore, I want to accept the truth of who he is for me. If that's you in this room, Will you do me a favor and just stick your hand up and wave it at me so I can pray with you? Amen. 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 Come on, around this room, pray with me. Say, Jesus, I need you. And I pray for peace between you and I, that I'll be made one with you. So wash me in your blood and make me new. From this day forward, I surrender my life completely to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah. Oh, love that, love that. Listen, if you just gave your life to Christ, do me a favor. If somebody brought you, make sure you talk to them about it. Come see one of the pastors or me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you about that and help you all along in the journey. Uh, but most of all, the easiest thing to do is actually text, text Jesus to 21777. And there's a 21-day devotional that we'll send you every day that just walks you on this journey for the next 21 days and just kind of helps you as, you as you start this new path in your life. Now, with that being said, this is our normal custom. We want to end by having one last song be sung. And Pastor Jason's going to sing one last short song and then Pastor Ken will come up right after him and close everything out. But if you want special prayer for anything this morning, during this last song, we want to invite you out of your seat. Come on up front. We'd love to agree with you in prayer. So it doesn't have to be what the message is about. It could be anything. But let's seek the Lord as we worship the Lord. And if you want special prayer, we invite you out of your seats to come on up front. Come on, Pastor Jason. Lead us in worship. Hey guys, wasn't that such an amazing message? If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and to follow our podcast. Also, make sure to share this with your friends on social media and use the hashtag MyAriseChurch. For more information or to give to this ministry, go to MyAriseChurch.com. I hope to see you guys soon.